jump there, you idiot. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Greetings, Grapple fans. It's time once again for two different generations of professional wrestling fans discuss about this pseudo art form pseudo sport pseudo sweet science if you were to listen to the likes of larry zabisco and talk about it for as long as their hearts were contented and given the hearty meals that we've eaten in our times those hearts may not be able to take that much but we'll do what we can yes it's let me tell you something i'm your co-host Lorcan mullen and with me as always is the mike rotundo to my barry windham the Irwin R. Shyster to my million dollar man Ted DiBiase, the VK Wall Street to my big titan, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how are you doing today, mate? I'm doing good. It's it's not often we have an introduction which uh, gives our listeners a chance to think about their cholesterol levels. Yes. Um, see, you are you are becoming heart smart, Lorcan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, now, I'll, I will be honest with you, listeners. Uh, you who are faithful listeners yes i'm talking to you john <laughs> i'm guessing it's one bloke and john's the most common of names so there's a chance um you'll know that we can talk we can wax poetic we can we can natter and uh pontificate and speculate and theorize with the best of them and we can make it last a good long while i don't think any of our episodes have on any uh, shorter than 50 minutes sometimes going well beyond the hour uh, we, we we give Ric Flair a Rick run for his money when it comes to 60 minute men king of the broadways yes very much so but I'm not sure if this one will take as long this might be a, a truncated a shorter one which is absolutely fine because this is something that maybe should be used in only small dosages in the wrestling match itself depending on where you stand with psychology and the like uh, we're going to be talking, we talked once about the foreign menace, that was one of my favourite episodes that we've done so far. Now we're going to talk about the foreign object, the weapon, the illegal object. Uh, of course, famously for a brief period of time when uh, WCW was being all uh, politically correct in the early 90s, it was even referred to as an international object. Um, so, Simon, what, what, where do you stand when we, when, when we came up with this idea and what do you think of the... the when you think of the foreign object, what sort of things come to your mind, first and foremost? I'm just trying to get past that whole international object thing. I didn't know about that. I thought um, it was a joke <laughs> until I watched some old WCW and, and young Jim Ross was saying, I used an international object there. I was like, wow, they really did say that. Okay. Um, the, oh, God, WCW just never ceases to amaze me. Um, when I think of the foreign object, I, I just it's one of those... 
pure things in wrestling. It's a consistent thing in wrestling. I think it's one of the reasons, it's one of the stereotypical things that get chucked out when people go, oh, wrestling's not real. They hit each other with these foreign objects and they're made of, like, you know, um, tin foil or whatever it is. I mean, whatever they make, WWE makes bin lids out of, God only knows, but it's certainly nothing got to actually, like, you know, build a house out of or anything like that. Um, it's it's one of those shock. It's one of those just things. You just think of wrestling, and you, it, there's just a stereotypical image in your head of someone hitting someone with a chair. Chairs mo- are like the most synonymous wrestling weapon, mm. uh, one would say. Uh, and it's it's just one of those things. It's typically used to like get heels, obviously heat and stuff like that. But it, uh, you know, you say wrestling to some. You say wrestling to someone, they think one of the things they will think of is someone hitting someone with a steel chair. Yeah, I remember the Simpsons episode where they go to Japan and they go to a sumo wrestling event and and Homer Simpson gets into the face of the uh, the sumo fighter and then Bart asks for him to be tagged in and he tags him and then Bart grabs a folded chair and swings it around and smacks the sumo wrestler in the face unfortunately that sumo wrestler was not Masato Tanaka and he took it pretty hard but I guess that is when when you if you ask a non-wrestling fan to say things that they associate with wrestling I think a steel chair might be something they might have heard of him in passing which is interesting I don't think to piggyback on your pop culture reference point in the first Shrek movie when um, Shrek fights Lord Farquaad's knights the moment he steps into a ring immediately someone in the crowd yells hit him with the chair mm. so it is what it, as, I, as I'm trying to like hammer home quite maybe to death but um, the chair is obviously the most iconic foreign object that there is although what's interesting about the chair though is I think that it's increased popularity especially by the time of the 90s and the ECW influence is that unlike most foreign objects it's very hard to conceal from the referee within the context of the psychology of a wrestling match before if you look at the 80s when wrestlers when the heels would if they were to win a match it would very often be through the means of a foreign object. That would be the equivalent in those days of the quick roll-up win from a distraction that you get now <laughs> on TV. It and we is, know how much you love those. It is a, it's a brass knuckle. It's just a, a sharp object of some description that they can then hide in their elbow pad or hide in their trunks or what have you. Whereas a steel chair, it makes a loud sound. It's very hard to keep from someone's peripheral visions it's very visual it's it's very visual and it's a loud sound and it's a large object as well the the, the harder it is to hide the less i consider it a foreign object because i think we're going to get into sort of semantics in in this uh episode because i would disqualify from this when we talk about foreign objects i would not include the table because i don't think that that is I don't think that's the thing that you... I mean, you can use it as a weapon. I remember Jim Cornette doing that against the Fantastics in a great match with the Midnight Express that they just threw him into one of the Fantastics into the ropes. And Jim Cornette basically just threw the nearby table up into the air so it would smack him in the face. Yeah. I think when I think of foreign objects in the classic sense, it's something that you use within brief... within a few seconds and you you disguise it from the referee and you throw it away before the referee can even notice. It's... It is the brass knuckles. It's Jimmy Hart's megaphone. It's Jim Cornette's tennis racket. 
It's, Paulie Heyman's phone. Yes, it's Paul Heyman's phone. Although that does leave quite a few. Uh, if you if you hit it hard enough, and he hit, he swung that thing hard, you you do leave little chunks of of phone dis, uh, around the <laughs> ring that the referee should really be paying attention to. So I guess there's a difference between a foreign object and a weapon. I think. do you think that's a generational thing? Perhaps. More the fact that um you grew up with people using quick little weapons to con- and then like yeah. um discarding yeah. them. Macho King Randy Savage being thrown sensational Sherry's loaded purse. Yeah. Hitting someone with it or IRS. Or his scepter. Yeah, like... yeah, the scepter. IRS with his uh, briefcase that eventually it was discovered was not holding documents at all like he had long claimed, but was actually a brick. <laughs> there, all the load, you know, the loaded purses, the loaded, uh, you know, just any of those sort of things. Um, it's just classic, simple heel heat. Okay, and no one loses face from lo- being knocked out by it. Um, it's because it's- everyone can understand that being yeah. hit with a heavy object, it's relatable. Yeah. On your point, then, obviously, you mentioned the table. You yeah. don't strictly count as a final object. And I can see your point because I it's think... more something people get put through yeah. rather than um, get hit with. Yeah. Would you count uh, Mooters, Green Mist, or Fuji's uh, White Powder I as a foreign object? I would say that's a foreign object. Yes, that is a, a, a method used to win a match through chicanerous means. I think usually a table spot, if it's in a match, it's in a hardcore street fight match or just a match where the referees mm-hmm. lost control of it and they, they usually just... I mean, it was just de rigueur for the Spanish announced table to have a, <laughs> a spot for about five, six straight years. and they still There's that WrestleMania stuff. where it survives and everyone goes mental. Um, <laughs> I think it's the Punk Undertaker uh, match at 29. Punk goes for the elbow. And he just bounces off of table, yeah. and the, ta- the table survives, and the crowd lose their collective shit. <laughs> I think it's like I said. I think I, when I relate to the foreign objects, I relate to something that shouldn't be there. If a table's being used, it's being used with an intent for it to be there. And if it's in a match with no with with rules, then the wrestler who's doing a table spot is doing so full in the knowledge that there will probably be a disqualification. That's why Bret Hart, who really brought in the table spots. In the WWF, in the Survivor Series in 95, I know there are exceptions, like Hulk Hogan used the table against Harley Race a fair amount of times in the early 80s, so don't tweet me, I'm aware. <laughs> but when Bret Hart went through that table at the Survivor Series, there's an accidental spot in itself where he was being pushed off the apron, and that just happened to be where the table was. And then six months down the line, Diesel powerbombs Shawn Michaels through the table in full view of the referee, but I think that was a no-holds-bar. It must have been a no-holds-bar match, because then... Shawn Michaels used Mad Dog Vashan's boots to knock out Diesel later on in the match. Um, It's a a playful... It's not a playful thing, but it's... um, It's a more... It it brings about the exaggerated nature of wrestling. It doesn't doesn't have an abrupt nature to it. Like, the use... I see what you're saying in terms of a foreign object using a match, like William Regal's Power of the Punch, to quote a classic Brass Knuckles example. But that's an end end game foreign object move. Mm. But to sort of go against what you've said in a sense, um, I think mainly due to the changing nature of psychology within wrestling, foreign objects aren't as a definitive psychological step in a match anymore i don't think they're as prevalent and i wonder as much if that's because of the um more pg aligned thinking 
So mm-hmm. to use a weapon is very often seen as a bit of a no-no because it's something that kids would replicate and like when there are, when there are, when there's cheating or, or or an equivalent of an, a foreign object in a match now more often than not it's like removing the turnbuckle pad so that it's within the confines of the match itself it's not and also it's probably down to the fact that there are fewer man there's next to no managers anymore and a foreign object was very often synonymous with the manager Paul Heyman's telephone Jim Cornette's tennis rackets Jimmy Hart's megaphone Sherry's purse Etc. Etc. When you went for the PG side of things, there, Lorcan, I thought you were going to say um, that one of the reasons foreign object isn't used so much in a PG environment is because of the lack of blood. Um, Partly, but to be fair, I mean, back in those eighties days when guys were being waffled with megaphones and the like, there wasn't really any blood that I can recall. Mm, but in a more, it was usually it was the way to end the match, and you use blood to accentuate a match as it's going on for the most part. The, one of the few examples I can think of is when X-Pac got hit with a ring bell at the end of an Edge and Christian X-Pac Road Dog match. I remember that because the blood he had afterwards was digitised out by the Channel 4 censors when they mm. screened it live. Well, not live, actually. It was like 15 minutes later so they could fit in the commercial breaks and what have you and put in things like that. And they also freeze-framed it when Trish Stratus was put through a table later on by the Dudley Boys. But... I think one of the key things, I think when people think of foreign objects, like I said, they, they associate specific objects to a specific person. Let's, can you can give some other examples you might want to offer? A cactus Jack with the barbed wire baseball bats. Triple H the with the sledgehammer. Yes, Triple H with the sledgehammer. Uh, okay, let's get to it now. Why I've never liked the sledgehammer. My problem with the sledgehammer as a foreign object is I think that if you're using a weapon in a match... The wrestler using it needs to have a way of doing it where they are able to use full force swinging the weapon and it can contextually be a relatable injury resulting from that. If someone swings a chair, and nowadays we don't do the headshots, thank God, but you see that they're swinging it with pretty much full force. I think they do things like they might hold closer to like the seat of the chair than the if they were holding it down right at the end where there's a little bit less control over the amount of force that you bring into it there's all sorts of techniques into it i'm sure that you you can do to make it sound and look as good as possible without it being that dangerous now the majority of times people use a chair it's to the back which gives the largest area that they can take the or they do that gut shot but there's always the the hand over the like the edge of the chair anyway but you can still believe that they're doing that with full force you can do that with the you know with the phone with the megaphone everything you can believe it if triple h used full force when hitting someone with a sledgehammer he would murder you you would be killed so he's always pulling his punches as it were and that's why I don't like the sledgehammer. You can't use it to its full force. And you always see that hand over it if he yeah. swings it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's like he's moderating it. And I don't think especially as a heel, you want to cause maximum damage, but we know that if he does do ma- and so occasionally when he does look like he's swinging it full force, you either know he's going to miss or it's we're meant to believe that Shawn Michaels took a sledgehammer literally to the back of the neck. And then was able to come back two months later and win a win a match. 
Yeah. And that's just not... The The only time actually it was borderline believable was when he wrestled Sting and Sting broke the sledgehammer in half. So he only had, like, the, the small butt of the sledgehammer to hit yeah. him with. That was actually a bit more believable. But you know what I mean? Like, there needs to be a... Con- you know, if someone goes swinging in with a brass knuckle punch, then that's all it takes to knock someone out. It's not like they then have to go, like, you know, you're not going to get a like that great punching, the punch-out spot between Pete Dunne and Tyler Bates at NXT Chicago. If either of them had a brass knuckle when they were doing that, you can't believably do it. Yeah. But that's about the, if you, you know, it's just, yeah. I see where you're coming from in a sense. You're saying it's asking too much of your suspension of disbelief, basically. Yeah, basically. it's There's no logic within it, within the logic of a wrestling match. Within the logic of a wrestling match, you're doing everything at the most you can. When, when, when Shawn Michaels is hitting a super kick on someone, he's not holding back on it. Yeah. He's hitting you with as much force as he can to knock you out. And you've just sort of tapped into a vein we can explore here. Um, obviously, so far we've talked about foreign objects used within conventional wrestling matches. Now, some companies and some organizations are going way far the other way you look at combat zone wrestling's ultra violent tournament of death um where it can be as even insane as like some fans bring the weapons matches uh, i think famous examples are a paris hilton uh, life-size cardboard cutout full of thumbtacks or like a um vintage tv set where they replace the screen with light tubes or yeah i don't even know if those would count in this discussion i don't know if we should hold that for like the, the history of the hardcore match because they're not foreign to this match they are encouraged in this match if anything a, a foreign object within a re- within that kind of match would be one wrestler doing a drop toe hold into a into a, a headlock take you know a, a chin lock in that match that would be the the equivalent of a foreign object spot in that match. And they sort of tapped into that when they had their um, inter-promotional feud with Ring of Honor, mm. where Ring of Honor positioned itself as more of the purist's uh, product over the um, psychopaths yeah. <laughs> at Combat Zone Wrestling. It was the idea that they could out-wrestle them, but the CZW guys might just bring a hedge trimmer with them yeah. to the ring and use... I mean, there's a sadomasochistic aspect to those things. People who do that are obviously... I'm not saying they're deranged, but they obviously have... Let's be kind and call them adrenaline junkies. Yeah. Like, I've seen, I have no interest in doing a bungee jump or a skydive. That's not of my interest. But I would assume people that do that will probably be more so more than willing to do the thumbtacks or... or what. Yeah. What's interesting about the thumbtacks, let's talk about that for a bit, is that... In and of themselves, they're not that bad. It's just it's relatable pain. It's the volume it's as the well. Vo- it's the understanding of what a thumbtack is because it's not you're not being stabbed with a knife. You are just being pierced, no more than half centimeter maybe into your body. But what I would equival- equate that to was: Do you remember when the first Jackass movie came out? Yeah. Out of all the crazy stunts, all of the insane things they did in that sh- in that film, the one thing everyone talks about more than anything in my history of watching it was when they did the paper cuts to themselves, uh-huh. the self-inflicted paper cuts. Because again, it was a relatable pain. You yeah. had a paper cut, so you can just about get the idea of what a paper cut to the webs of your feet and your 
and 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 like one of the guys, I remember one of the cameramen does literally throw up in disgust at it. Yeah. And there's no way that's more painful than the majority of what they do in that film. It's just it's a relatable pain. And I guess that's mm. what it is within the context of of, of a, a wrestling match. You can maybe you can understand that more. You you don't necessarily know what an F five would do to you particularly. Yeah. What a German suplex would do to you particularly, but I think you can probably understand what a what a, a steel chair to the back might feel like because you might have had that equivalent done to you, or mm. the thumbtacks. You can equate. You can probably still comprehend what like there was probably one kid at school that stabbed you with a compass at some point or another, <laughs> and you just got that idea of someone doing it five hundred times in in a short space of in time. succession in yeah. succession. And so, because a lot of big time wrestlers have done the thumbtack spot, so there's obviously a sense of this is endurable pain. The likes of Randy Orton, mm-hmm. Chris Jericho, uh, Edge. Do they count as a foreign object? Because again, it's they would only you, you can't hit someone with thumbtacks and then hide it yeah. from the referee, particularly. But so is again, it a I'm DQ? Sure. I can't remember. I don't oh, think it it's a DQ. a DQ because you're stabbing someone. Basically. But is it though? Because you're not striking someone with a foreign object. Like going for the announce table is not a DQ. It can. Well, like I said, that's why the the, the tables are a weird one. It could be a DQ if if the logic of wrestling was such. But I don't know. Is honest truth. We're trying to attach logic to wrestling, which may be a big mistake in the first place. Yeah, I ju- I just think. Uh, you can't really count thumbtacks. I think thumbtacks are more of a novelty object than a foreign object. Maybe maybe I'm being too semantic with the whole thing. Like, so do you think... What do you think is maybe a foreign object that's not used enough? Or what do you think is something that could make a comeback? Or do you think that the days of the heel, the dastardly heel, using a trademark weapon to win a match have died out? Well, we've sort of touched on it, that it's more and more difficult to be an out-and-out heel these days because heel, heels are cool. Um... And as a result, cheating is cool. So that what their actions won't get the elicited response if they use a foreign object to cheat to win. Mm. Um, I think foreign objects on the whole is a form of cheating. You need to make cheating horrible again. And to do that, this is me quarterback, um, armchair quarterbacking. To do that, you need someone who... Um, Someone really hypocritical, someone who lays it on thick, sort of John Cena-esque as like he's betrayed in the IWC, like, oh, I'm doing it all for the Make-A-Wish kids, never give up, believe in your dreams. Um, Hulkamania style, you know, um, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, that kind of thing. But just cheat the entire time, but never acknowledge it. Mm. Just just deny it, like, just you know, yeah. Or well, of course, I mean, you, you know, you had the great fun of Eddie Guerrero cheating by implying that someone else cheated. Yeah. Which is always a fantastic spot when he would slam the chair on the mat, and it's the only time the referee hit hearing a steel chair chair in their life. Yeah, referees can't hear foreign objects. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And like I said, it's because it was of a time in the earlier days when I guess they were... I don't know if it's like the, the, the con job aspect to it, Jerry Lawler was very good at that, always cheating without the referee looking, but knowing that the crowd could see him do mm. it. I remember Jim Cornette just saying how brilliant he was at concealing a weapon until so that everyone could know that he's got the weapon except the referee. Yeah. And how he would lay it into the mat. 
rich as a heel. And he was so good at that. And as he was at so many things in wrestling. He's... It's very yeah. start, like like how a lot of psych. I don't think wrestling psychology has died. I think re- wrestling psychology has changed. Yeah, it's a fault. Like I can argue for the Ricochet Will Osprey matches as good examples of psychology, but it's a different kind of psychology. And different doesn't necessarily mean bad. Mm. Um, so sorry to revisit one of the um one of the questions you did ask earlier. Resting weapon that I think should make a comeback. Purely in WWE terms, I'm speaking here. Because they used to do it loads and they don't do it anymore. Bins. Mm. I, I love a bin. Yeah. I like, I, it, it's just so versatile as a uh, foreign object. I remember Tony Schiavone actually kind of shitting on that. What Not, not in the bin. But I mean, <laughs> during a hardcore match between Bam Bam Bigelow and the Sandman back when he was called Hack. Yeah. They were using all those weapons. He was saying, actually, I don't think the, the, the garbage can is probably the least worst weapon to get hit with. Because it makes a big sound, but it's actually quite hollow. It doesn't hurt them that much. Yeah. It's like, don't give it away, Tony! <laughs> you know? It's like, what are you doing? But no, like, um, one of my favourite foreign object moments is Shane McMahon's coast-to-coast to his dad mm. with the bin. Oh, that bin that's... When you think of foreign objects, there are those little iconic moments. Well, that's was... one of them. Yeah, I think it was ECW that really turned the foreign object into just weaponry. And then they became yeah. artists with them. Rob Van Dam became a chair artist mm. with the Van Daminator. And the, that great spot he always he would do with Jerry Lynn often with the steel chair. Alfonso would swing to hit Jerry Lynn with the chair. Lynn would catch it. Lynn would duck a roundhouse kick by Rob Van Dam. As he's ducking it, he places the chair on the, on the ring, on the mat. Mm-hmm. Rob Van Dam follows through the missed spin kick with a with a, a a heel sweep, a leg sweep, which Jerry Lynn dodges by jumping in the air. And as he's coming down, and Rob Van Dam's swinging around, he's able to catch him with a leg drop slash famasser, which lands him face first onto the chair that Jerry Lynn just put onto the mats. That was always one of my favorites. That was probably my favorite spot of those series of matches that they mm. did. And I think it got escalated as the as from match to match. It was like first. Bill Alfonso hit him with a chair in match one or something and then Jerry Lynn caught it in match two and, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, I mean, they do build up um, foreign objects in some senses in the modern in the modernish era. You had Edge with and Christian with the concerto. Mm. Pretty much a game, uh, game-changing game manoeuvre there. That was a pretty amazing achievement from them to be able to make the chairs their trademark weapon. Considering, yeah, it's, it's sort of like they picked last. Yeah, yeah, they... they, they <laughs> They lost out, you know. Well, I don't know if they did lose out. It depends. Uh, the Dudleys got the tables. Tables are quite Hardy's visual, got though. The ladders and the Edge and Christian got the chairs. It's fascinating, actually, that the Dudley boys basically had to spend like ten or so years defined by the tables. And I assume at every house show they did, they hmm. put someone through a table during that. Because that's just sending the fans home happy. Yeah. Um. And I don't know how you incorporate that into every match without getting quite bored very quickly. But people are still being creative. There was a lot of creative work done in the Alistair Black-Adam Cole match in recent uh, weeks where where Alistair Black actually threw away his kendo stick saying, I am a weapon. Yeah. (laughs) Adam Cole's facial expression selling that is beautiful. Well, just Adam Cole's facial expressions are maybe the best in the business. There's very few that beat them right now. I think maybe Alexa Bliss would give him a run for his money. Um, at times Seth Rollins but he goes a bit over the top at times Dean Ambrose but he goes a bit over the top um, 
Omega. Omega's so over the top as well. Okada yeah. does some great facial expressions as well. Now, that's something that... I mean, the foreign object in, in Japan is fairly... Um, little fairly used, rare. Unless they go full force with it. Mm. There are some that have their trademarks. Like, uh, Togi Makabe has the, the um, chain that he wears. Yeah. And he does, like, a chain-assisted clothesline. And obviously... They would have they'd have like a trademark weapon that they would bring to the ring, you know, Stan Hansen with his bull rope or or or, or um, Bruce, Bruce Brody with his, his chain and everything. But they wouldn't necessarily be used in the match unless they were drawing the DQ out of it. That's one of the reasons why um, Jericho Omega looked so different was the like the no DQ aspect of it and the fact that foreign objects were used more freely throughout. Well, the Great Muta had the spike as well. That was another popular one. I guess those stabbing objects they always kind of. They always freak me out it's a bit when I was a kid. Whenever I'd see like a picture of Abdullah the Butcher with his fork, or uh, or anything like that, just the f- again, it's just relatable. Everyone it's knows relatable. what a fork is able to do. Yeah, and the idea of him just digging at someone with him. I remember like seeing a shot of Homicide having a wrestler in like an STF and then just redu- producing a fork yeah. and just going at their forehead with it. And again, I think it's a manageable pain for the wrestlers. My most, but it's just a relatable pain to the audience. My most uncomfortable moment with a foreign object slash weapon was in a Frontier Mountain wrestling um, event, the Electrified Swimming Pool Death Match, <laughs> where oh, I, I can't remember his arts wrestling. I think. Thank you. Sorry. Um, where I can't remember his name, but the owner of the company's in the match. Thank you, Anita. And he gets stabbed with a scythe in the stomach, like midway through the match. (laughs) It's just mental. Mike Awesome's in it, just powerbombing people, like, into oblivion. Um, I think this was just before he became the fat guy thriller. I think it was a couple of years before. Mm. Fat, fat chick thriller. Sorry, that would have been a really groundbreaking character in WCW in the late... (laughs) Okay, uh, do you have anything left to add to that, Simon? I think we've rung as much as we can out of this, maybe. I'm just looking at maybe baby faces that use foreign objects. Some of the obvious ones that are coming to my mind are like uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan with his 2x4. It's probably the most Sting. classic example. Sting, Sting with, with a bat. baseball bat. But again, that wasn't really used that often in the matches unless it was a no-DQ match. But yeah, he was mm. he was synonymous with the baseball bats. Um of course, we've had a recent incident with a baseball bat with a Sammy Callahan accidentally smacking Eddie Edwards right in the forehead with his baseball bats. And it was just like, why did you not use a gimmicked bat? Come mm. on, man. If you're going to do something as reckless as that, it was insane. It was very scary, to be honest. So, yeah, I guess those are, those are the risks you take with a foreign object at times. I remember actually... This is a bit of a sidetrack. I remember I had to hit a guy in a play with a custard pie. And we had just shaving foam, I think. Shaving foam on the paper plate. Yeah, shaving foam on the paper plate. But one of them was full, and the other one barely had any in it. And I just smacked him with the small with the with the plate with a very small amount. Really hard. And I didn't appreciate how hard I hit him until afterwards it turned out I I didn't broken his nose, but there was blood afterwards. But he turned back around, and I had a follow up, and that one was like a full pie, yeah. and that got the required uh, uh, splatter. But yeah, it's you know, you, you know, if you don't, if you don't know how to work it properly, it can it cause can more harm cause than all good. All sorts of trouble. Yeah. 
Uh, do you think in a more kid-friendly environment, I mean, obviously you've alluded to it earlier, that that's why foreign objects have like, disappeared a little yeah. bit in terms of like a cheaty mechanism? Because not a chair shot in itself in the right environment, oh, that's just a chair shot, that makes like, you know, that that's part of the narrative. But if someone was to consistently use a foreign object on a regular basis, like uh, William Regal with the brass knuckles, for example, um, would it spawn kids copycatting that i guess well i think kids will just copycat everything in wrestling but i think if you emphasize the severity of a foreign object hit Mm. that's the worst hit that maybe that'll put kids off of it that every time you're hit with brass knuckles that's it match over so a kid knows that if i hit someone with brass knuckles that's probably not going to be a good thing whereas you might think that doing a drop kick unless it's like a minora suzuki drop kick or what have you if you don't put in too much precision to it you can probably get away with that with with little mm. um, negative impact on the on the person's life <laughs> or yeah. ability to walk or count. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's one of those things where Vince sometimes thinks, um, "Oh, I don't, I don't want kids doing this in the playground." With that headline, "Oh, doing WWE move or um, learn this from WWE." can do that you know kids are morons they'll find some way to hurt each other very easily well um not to date um this episode but recently kids have been eating tide pods so anything's possible but they've also been helping change gun laws in america kids are kids are complicated creatures they're complex like an hbo character in a tv series (laughs) Like anyway. life itself. Yes, very much so. I mean, if you've seen Boy Meets World, fucking hell, that gives that gives the wire a run for its money. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much Girl Meets World. They pandered with that. Anyway, Simon, it's time we made a visit to Mount Rushmore and didn't use a foreign object behind the guards back to take a little chip out of it for our own safekeeping when we go home. What are? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first with your? I sport? went first last time. You go okay. first. All right. So here are my four. Remember, you're, you have to have three different ones and one that we agree on, or four different ones, and then we have to pick one that we agree on. Okay? Okay. So make sure if I've got more than one that you change one of yours. Okay. okay. So I'm going to go with Brass Knuckles. Just classic, simple. And they include, like, the taped versions and just any kind of little power of the punch thing. The very popular move in the Southern wrestling years, and, and William Regal brought it back classically with his... Uh, pantomime villain shtick with hiding it in his trunks or then hiding it in his tag team partner's trunks or what have you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with, uh, of all the uh, trademark manager weapons, I'm going to go with the Jim Cornette tennis rackets. Just made a very satisfying sound when he hit them right with it. And, tr- you know, Jim, and again, he could swing it full force and he would swing it full force. But he could also use it during a match with a little just stabbing them in the throat with it, with the, the handle or what have you. Very effective, relatable uh, weapon. I'm going to go with the mist in the eyes or the powder in the eyes. I'll take the powder to the eyes. Because the Mr. Fuji salt in the eyes. Yeah, it was racist, but what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? um, it, it worked, though. Yeah, yeah. And relatable. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, it was never actually salt. No one has salt that that, that thick and powdery. <laughs> And finally, just the classic, the one, like I say, if you think of one, you think of just this one, it's the steel chair. So those are my four weapons. The brass knuckles, the tennis racket, the powder to the eyes, and the steel chair. 
Are you now regretting me going first because you've got to come up with some new ones super quick, Simon? That has pretty much decimated my lineup. Um, I am going to start with Steel Chair, though. Steel Chair has to be done. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to help me out. Um, no, Steel Chair, classic. Um, from from the old vintage blue chairs. Those those look really brilliant blue ones. Like blue bar steel cages. Yeah, I am yeah, sidetracking a little is, bit. But blue is the classic. <laughs> it just looked like they hurt more. <laughs> I can't explain That's the it. Power of blue. Exactly. It's <laughs> maybe it's like a green green lanterns thing. Blue chairs, <laughs> green lanterns. Um. Oh. Um. I'm gonna go kendo stick. Ah, a more updated one. The Singapore cane, I guess, where it was yeah. first synonymous with the Sandman. Um, purely because it's quite like quite versatile. It, it doesn't look versatile on the surface, but they can do a lot of different things with it. You've got like the nefarious choke. You've got the jab to the throat. You've got the obvious like beat them like a government mule until they look horrible, like horribly. Do you know how it became a thing? No, no, it go on. It became a thing because it was like a, a news scandal of like this American student who was doing his foreign travels and he was in Singapore and he was caught doing something nefarious and the punishment was going to be several lashes of this Singapore cane. And so ECW ran with that and they had a match between Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman where the, the loser would have to take 10 hits of the C- Singapore cane and, and Dreamer lost and... It was seen as one of the great moments of him finally being accepted by the fans because he'd be hit time and time again and the crowd was like telling it to stop and he was like, please, sir, may I have another? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of a history ah, for you. That's cool. That's cool. cool. Um, oh, it's tough because you really did take a good kick a couple of mine out from under me. Um, I'm going to go ring bell. Oh, okay. Um, because it's just so damn heavy. <laughs> it's just like um makes a satisfying sound as well yeah like it, it really does like it, it it's just like it plays a, it, up to the anarchic ma- nature of a match like that that it was just so out of hand and just someone grabbing what was nearby yeah um, and of course roddy piper famously having that uh dark night of the soul at wrestlemania 8 when he was wielding that ring bell in front of bret hart and debating whether to use it or not mm. um and my final one I'm gonna go for. <laughs> I mean, no, that's in my honourable mention, and I'll tell you why in a second. But I'm I'm gonna go for fire extinguisher. Okay. It, it, it's a good comedy spot, but it's always like a pretty good like it, that's pretty abrupt because if someone takes a fire extinguisher it's from a manager, for example, um, and they spray a fire extinguisher in someone's eyes, that's then pretty much rolled up afterwards as well. It's 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 like a com- it's a combi weapon. Mm. You, you've got the girth of a <laughs> girth's a horrible word. You've got the weight of a ring bell. Uh, you've got the, obviously the blinding effect of the mist, mm. and um, it's something that valets and managers can use quite effectively. It's very popular in the hardcore matches of the late nineties. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they ran a few arenas dry, basically. <laughs> As okay, a result, so, so um, on a quick to... honourable mention, yep. um, title belts, I. Obviously, they're, they're right. They they are used so much in so many matches. It's it's hard to ignore them. I'm not going to count it as a foreign object purely because 
I think it's something that accentuates the importance of a title match rather than like the angle itself necessarily. Okay. It was definitely that was on my uh, uh, honorable mentions, as was the two by four, more specifically the two by four wrapped in barbed wire. But again, I don't know whether that would be more of a weapon for a hardcore match than a foreign object for a regular match. Yeah. So that has been the foreign object. Uh, we didn't manage the hour, but I think we managed to wring a fair amount out of that discussion. Simon, if people want to talk to you or maybe spot you in the streets and swing a chair in your face without you knowing it's coming, how can they do so? Uh, well, obviously, you know, they can contact me on Facebook or they can contact me on Twitter where I'm Simon Cross Free. Um, so known because I actually prefer the um, wood measurement 3x4. I'm not a conventional 2x4 man. I never understood why it was a 2x4 because it was obvious that there was not a heart. It wasn't like, what was the 2 and what was the 4? I think it's two inch by four feet. Uh, It's got to be. Dumb. (laughs) Yeah, because it's two different units of measurement. I never understood it, but if you look at the the dimensions, I don't see what else it could be. Yeah, but what's two inches? I mean, you know, if that's two inches, women shouldn't be complaining so much. That's all I've got to say. Oh, so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, th- I think we're getting a nice insight into your life there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, well, if people want to get in touch with me to find out the truth, it's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. Now, if you put an at at the start of that name, then that's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram handle. If you want to see what movies I've been seeing lately and the depressingly bad upkeep I've realised that my thumbnails and fingernails in general are being kept <laughs> in that was a real I need I need a mani-pedi quick <laughs> um, uh, or if you want to give me an email then move that at from the front of Lorcan Mullen to the back of Lorcan Mullen and then add a gmail.com to it and send me an email I've said in the past I'm working on a new podcast series called Best of Worst of British where myself and two of my comedy friends Tom Hodgkinson and Michael Bell ring my bell (laughs) I might have to make that his nickname now Michael ring my bell (laughs) discuss the anti-classics of British cinema no David Lean here the only thing that will be lean is the amount of cinematic ability that everyone involved possesses. That is what you will see. And, of course, we're talking recently, we might try and do a little capsule review, uh, dating this episode again. The recent British film Walk Like a Panther, about a sort of a full Monty of 80s wrestling. Uh, classic Big Daddy wrestling will be on at the cinema, so we might try and do a little capsule review that we'll put up on our feed at some point. Yeah. Uh, in between this episode and the next one. Uh, but until then, my name's Lorca Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time, farewell, Batman fans. <laughs>